Welcome to Battery Insiders, your podcast providing you insights in the fascinating world of batteries. Hosted by Pavia Cha and Simon Engelke. And we are back. Hey, Pavia, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. That was exciting. I think, yeah, we're just coming from a nice session on stationary, stationary batteries and stationary energy storage and grids. What do you think, Pavia? Any new thoughts? Well, I was excited to see or hear rep, um, from more of our representatives in Australia. We had some folks joining in. Not only was it very late there, but also um, that is a region that is that is slowly, surely gaining more traction when it comes to electrification. But it's actually got a pretty old story, I think, now when it comes to energy storage. Um, you know, with the first and biggest. Tesla project there, the growing market, the growing need for it, um, especially given some of the climate change stories um, coming up. Like, for example, I think one person on the call mentioned, you know, everything that's happened this past week with the snowstorm in Texas and um, the loss of electricity. Well, in Australia, it's not snowstorms. It's rather the heat that causes that. And, you know, just getting a little bit more of the cultural and like economic, economic, political and environmental context on that call. I think helped contextualize the upcoming and like valuable role that Australia plays in energy and electrification. Um, of course, there's also some some of the largest lithium mines there. So clearly, you can tell I was fascinated by the Australia voices on the call. But what about you? No, I agree. I think it's you know this is like a little of a recap of one of ours we just had on Clubhouse with a really nice audience and really nice panel. And um, yeah, as you said, I think you know Australia was quite strong today, and it's. What's nice because Australia, I think, is one of these interesting countries where you hear in the news all the time, you know, they have this biggest batteries installed and all these things, and they have like all these lithium mines, right? But I think there's still, a, they also sometimes have a long way to go still to really transform their grid because they're heavily relying on, um, you know, fossil fuels still like coal and these kind of topics and exporting it, et cetera. So, yeah, I think it was very encouraging to hear the voices there and kind of get, you know, get their, you know, their excitement about this and, you know, about opportunities in this space and not just in Australia, right? We had people from Europe, but also the US and all kinds, um, Nigeria, et cetera. So um, I think it was, it was a quite nice international discussion. And I think for me, one thing which really, you know, I thought was quite interesting for me today was the technology front, right? I think we had, you know, we started with Australia talking a bit about this landscape, which was really interesting. And then we came to where kind of what technologies are available and what technologies do people believe in going to have like you know the biggest impact in the stationary market and what actually was interesting to me was you know at least from the voices raised in the room which of course is a subset was that lithium ion is really the technology to play you know the biggest like you know, have the biggest impact and i think the discussion really came back to if you have stationary it's really like a, it's a, it's not just you know it's not like you know like a phone where you have like two years or something right and you might get a new one but stationary installations really have to last a long time, right? You want like 20 years plus. Um, so if you now put something in place today, it actually has to be, you know, functioning still in 20 plus years. So you can't really experiment as much maybe as with other technologies because you have to essentially underwrite when you install it, this is going to last you this number of years. Um, which I just found interesting, you know, I think from the developer perspective, right? We had a few people from the finance and, um, you know, installation side, and they would always say, we need technologies where we can bank on them. You know, they're bankable. I think that's what the term they used. I get a bank to finance this because the bank 
knows this is still going to be running in this amount of years, which I think is, you know, for some of us who are very excited about new technologies, um, you know, it's a very important, you know, reflection on, you know, you know, how ready is my technology, let's say. And I think for stationary technology, it really has to last um, to, to be, you know, financially attractive. What are the other options that have come up for stationary, you know, for the sake of our audience and for the sake of recap? Totally, yeah. I think today came up Energy Vault, which is um, which was really hyped up. It was a big company and was also the kind of reflection. You know, have you heard much from them recently? If you listen to this and you are from Energy Vault, you're really welcome to join us in a future session to to get your perspective. And I think so. Here was kinetic energy, right? Like potential on kinetic energy, where you just take concrete blocks and you essentially put them above each other. And that's how you store energy. And when you get energy back, you just you know putting essentially use a crane to you know, put down the um, the concrete blocks again. That's kind of a way to store. Um, it's a bit like, you know, water pumped hydro in a way, just more in a maybe smaller setting in a way, right? And you can put it anywhere because it was pumped hydro, which of course is still one of the biggest energy storage technologies. Um, you need the, you know, you need the lakes and all this, you know, you need the right landscape, you can say, in the, in the space, um, which also has consequence right to nature, etc. Um, another one, which I think we quickly discussed was um, Redux Flow. We didn't talk about too much. I know there's some really smart people out there work on this, but the thing here is, you know, it also often has been, you know, named as technology which lasts a long time. That's I think often the, you know, the two arguments for uh, for or three arguments for um, Redux Flow have been, you know, you can decouple power from energy storage capacity, um, which you, you know you cannot really do with batteries. If you put more batteries in place, you also increase your power, but you might not need that. And another thing was, um, you know, materials you don't need lithium, etc., but you know, we can talk about this if this is really a big issue right now. And then um, the third thing would be, uh, you know, I mean, cost was one where it was supposed to be cheaper. But I think also here we brought up, right, that um, the cost of lithium ion has dropped so much, so it makes it more tricky. And then the last thing, actually, the fourth thing, you know, um, to add to this one as well is they often have been named as this technology which would last a long, long time, would have a really long life cycle, um, you know, from the chemistry because degradation was supposed to be less of an issue. Interestingly enough, at least, you know, the place I've been visiting, often these systems actually have been down because of, you know, like all this mechanics, etc. So actually to maintain them wasn't at least, but that's a very like personal view, right, from the installations I've been um, observing have been, they had more issues, let's say, than with the lithium-ion batteries, which goes a bit back to the bankable, right? It's really tough to have a technology if it's not, you know, scaled in, in a way, you know, like if you have one technology which exists everywhere, let's say, of course, you know, you have much more learnings about it, how to run it more efficiently, etc. But if you have a new technology, which is only installed in a few places, you know, I've been observing it can be quite challenging to, to get a robustness into place, which you have is other tech, like lithium-ion, for example, which is highly scaled at this point. Is yeah. it fair to say that of the technologies you mentioned, the most prevalent right now is lithium-ion? I mean, this was mentioned today, you know, from the audience, from the panel. And I mean, personally, I think, yeah, lithium iron really is one where there's a lot of, you know, still potential, like just from, from the scalability. And I think it really comes down to also think about who are the drivers right now, right, for, for storage. And the biggest driver, I think we have been had studies with on this, you know, I think there's some great studies also from the World Economic Forum on this and others as well, which really show that essentially this decade is, the biggest demand for energy storage and specifically batteries comes from the automotive sector, right? Um, so this yes, <laughs> repurposed batteries. Let's talk about it. <laughs> exactly, which is that great segue. And 
yeah so i think just to make sure right so i think stationary will be interesting to see if this accelerates but at least when we looked at this two years ago we thought you know energy storage will be a batteries like essentially automotive going to be the battery driver and then stationary will be back will be built based on that because technology is so you know there's so many batteries then available and the costs are so low and it's so you know scaled but yeah let's talk about sec if you want like about second life and how you merge these two well when you talk about transitioning from automotive to energy storage um, or stationary storage there are a couple of questions that come into mind some of which are already at play one is how is that being regulated um in some cases i think there are some case studies actually in the uk where people have taken automotive cars and fitted them to oh, sorry automotive um, batteries and fitted it fitted them to their homes well from an energy efficiency perspective, yeah, that's great. It's ideal, but what are the safety standards around it? How is who's regulating that at a more local level? Um, in the case of any of those, you know, thermal hazards posed by that battery, is the customer aware? Do does lo do local firemen know how to handle this? This is actually um, this was actually ended up being a significant portion of my Fulbright research with the UK team. So I, I, we don't have answers for these right now, but that has been one concern um, and a significant one that it, I that came to mind to me during today's conversation. The second thing I would say is how feasible is it to take a battery with the chemistry and the fit um, for a for a, for an automotive vehicle to fit it to a stationary um, for a stationary use? Um, what what does that mean for how the chemistry is? Would there need to be modifications made? Is it that easy to do like a swap out or a trade in, however you want to look at it? Um, I, I don't know. I think it's the, I, in theory, I think it sounds great. I think there's um, high value in and high return in the life of one battery to repurpose it. But I don't know how feasible and really how safe it is to do that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, very one, and that's really, you know, recent. Um, you can see more and more automakers um, moving to LFP, right? Iron phosphate batteries, um, yes. you know, to to not use NMC as you mentioned before. And I think LFP have been used in stationary quite widely as well. So I think it's actually interesting that there is, you know, um, two things coming together, right? Where LFP is now used also in cars because before, as you, you know, you could say, is it really worthwhile to take the NMC batteries and put them into stationary afterwards? Um, but if you have LFP, Maybe that's interesting. You know, it's it's kind of the same chemistry. On the other hand, it might also be, you know, that the you know the financial aspect. You know, have to kind of think: does it make sense because the batteries already become so much cheaper in the in the first edition? So I think yeah, it's a very fascinating topic. And as you said, policy is probably a big one to 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 disseminate that as well. Maybe just one quick thing. I don't, I'm not sure if you know how much you know about this, but I at least I hear from from a German perspective often issue with stationary is that. Um, it's you know it hasn't been as attractive let's say financially to to have stationary sometimes because it couldn't really i don't know i heard like about you know you have to pay extra fees etc if you sell back electricity to the grid from your batteries etc so some of these things i at least i i don't know too much about this but i've heard this can be a roadblock um and i, I think in the uk for example right we had this example of nissan leaf nissan leaves essentially trading electricity for you um i'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on are there any roadblocks right now for like you know the upscale of um, grid grid storage um, from a policy perspective? 
in the US, I would say the well, you know, the biggest example I can think of was the automotive subsidies that we had in California, I want to say until 2018, like December 2018. Um, and that was actually quite an incentive. I, I, my like local experience in California showed me that people are buying, they were buying electric vehicles with the hope of having um, achieving subsidies. And as a, as a resident, I um, felt that PG&E was, you know, I think like one month a year, my bill was always subsidized for like energy saving reasons. Um, so I think that, you know, policy has that potential to influence those um, incentives, those financial incentives for customers at the state and local levels. I, I hear you on the Europe exam Euro examples as well, but I'm not too familiar with um, some of the cases you mentioned. I have yeah. heard rather, it's not so much on the stationary front, but on the automotive front, I know that, you know, I, this goes back to perhaps a, even a separate conversation, but there are, I think there is a car producer in the, in the, in Europe who sells the car, leases the battery. And when the battery comes back, uses it for storage. So it's not the same thing as the Nissan scheme, but I do see the potential for automotive makers to have to affect this um, upstream positively, at least. Yeah, no, and I think it's, you know, it's there's still also a lot of things which still have to be figured out, right? I think what's the most effective, and I think one important thing is also to look that, you know, essentially, you know, that also people look at what other countries are doing, right? And to see maybe if some of these things, you know, made sense and did it happen. I think, you know, a lot of has happened in China, of course, also from policy, but also implementation side, but also in other places around the world. And I think right now what's really exciting that there is a lot of interest in this topic. There's sort of, you know, movement. Uh, we can see a lot of implementation um, scale up. So, yeah, I think that the decade can be quite interesting. But I think I still personally believe, you know, that I think this is really the decade for um, automotive in a way, but also mobility, not just, you know, cars, but also micro-mobility, um, drones, and all these really exciting new ways of transport, um, you know, ship trains, etc. And... Um, and I think personally, energy storage will have a massive impact if I just think about the, you know, storage like perspective on energy access, which actually going to be a topic we also can talk about because there are billions of people in the world who don't have access to energy yet. And I think actually here, microgrids and batteries plus solar and wind um, can be a really nice way to, you know, decentralize energy rather than have centralized energy sources as we had so far. Um, Majority is in the grid. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, these technologies and the places we've talked about today are, you know, always in the headlines for adopting or changing, making changes locally to um, ease accessibility. Of course, there's work to be done. But the reason I'm actually interested in all of this is where, how, where, when and how does this get to other remote areas where the need is more dire, I would almost say. So I'm excited for next week's conversation. I guess we'll have to see who joins then. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and also, I mean, you know, yeah, absolutely. I think it will be exciting. And yeah, join us for that. And also, we're going to release some more of the other previous conversations on here as well. So maybe that's a bit of a mix and order. But at least on Clubhouse, the next um, week's conversation is going to be about energy access. And that's a really big one as well. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Bavia. It was fun. Okay. Great. Talk next week. Talk next week. Bye.